You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, pastor of New Hope Chapel. I wanted to thank you for listening to this message from our teaching team, and I pray that God uses it to touch your heart. Good morning. My name is Bill Smith, and I have the privilege. Hi, how are you doing, Juan? Good to see you back. (laughs) See, you've brought your better part of you with you today as well. Yeah, there she is. I have the privilege and honor of being one of the six teachers here at New Hope Chapel, and today I have the honor of talking with you about the Festival of the Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah. And so I should greet you in the traditional Jewish way of, of doing that by saying, Happy Lashana Tovah. Let's say that to each other. Happy Lashana Tovah. Lashana Tovah is a shorter way of saying a longer sentence, which would be, May your new year be filled with good health and happiness and sweet memories too. Now I want you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament, and I'd like at least one of you to find Leviticus 23, where we're going to see the festivals, of the, the festivals outlined. The festivals, or the feasts, are mentioned in a lot of places in the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament. But in Leviticus 23, they're all outlined uh, in order. And so Leviticus 23 says, The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are your appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Jews, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. I always like to hear other versions. Who who has Leviticus 23 open right now? Who has that, whether it's on your iPhone or... Okay, so would you read your version, please? Yeah, Leviticus... So her version is a little bit different than my version. Her version says, these are the festivals of the Lord. But my version says, these are the festivals of the Jews. And guess which version is more correct? Her version is. I have the wrong one up here. The correct version is, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals. My appointed festivals. Not the festivals of the Jews. The appointed festivals... Of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. So, how, be honest, this is a place where we're supposed to be honest here in church. Raise your hand if you just now realize that these festivals we study are not the festivals of the Jews. Besides me, who else just realized that? Okay. <laughs> See, I always thought they were the festival of the Jews. And in this preparation, I, I noticed that it does not say that. These are the festivals of the Lord, those are His festivals which he apparently celebrates. So my thinking has been these past few weeks, if these are the festivals that the Lord celebrates, and I consider him to be my Lord, my Savior, my God, my King, maybe I should be celebrating them too. They were never meant just for the Jews because they're his festivals and to be proclaimed as sacred assemblies. So if we continue to read through Leviticus 23, we'll see these festivals outline. Now, if you did a quick count there, you would see I actually have eight festivals up there. And so there's two different ways we get to this idea of seven festivals. Uh, one of those is this first festival outline in Leviticus 23 is the, the, the Sabbath. And then the Lord says these remaining seven are also to be considered as Sabbath or holy days. And so whereas the Sabbath is always occurring on Saturday, some of these festivals move throughout the week. And so if that festival falls on a Tuesday... 
then Tuesday is also a Sabbath day. Just like for us, Christmas moves on the, throughout the week. That becomes a holy day. We can look at these festivals from a couple, couple different standpoints. One of them that I look at it from the standpoint of what is God saying to us about himself or about us. And when I look at the festival of the Sabbath, I hear the Lord saying, come and rest with me. In fact, as I was thinking even this morning about all these festivals, all of them have something to do with, with rest. And so for all the focus and emphasis on get busy and do work, it seems like God wants us to rest a lot with him. Then we see the festival of the Passover, where, where uh, death passed over and the, the, the Lord protected the Israelites from death. The Lord is reminding us that I will protect you. I am your protector. And then we look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened bread has obviously no leaven in it, and leaven in Scripture represents sin. So unleavened bread would be pure without sin. And so this festival of unleavened bread, God is reminding us that he is pure, and he also created our minds for pure thoughts, not our brains. Our minds were created for pure thoughts. And this is actually a confession you can make about yourself. You can say, my mind was created for pure thoughts. Just say that with me. My mind was created for pure thoughts. You can add that to your meditation or to your prayer to remind yourself that even though these sinful, evil thoughts get in there, your mind wasn't created for that. Your mind was created for pure thoughts. And so the Festival of Unleavened Bread reminds us of that. And then we have the, the, those words there say, wave the sheaf, which would be the Feast of First Fruits. Part of the Feast of First Fruits is the priest would go before and waving the sheaf of the first fruits And this is to remind us that when the harvest comes in, it's God who has provided the harvest. And so he's reminding us that he will always provide for us, that he will not let us fail. And we can trust him in that. And then we have the Feast of Weeks, or also referred to as Pentecost. I'll explain that in a second. And during that festival, there's a commandment that there be also be food in the outer skirts of the festival or the village. And that food is also placed there for strangers. God reminding us that he is generous and that we also ought to be generous and to love one another. And then we have the Feast of Trumpets, which we're going to talk about today. And the Feast of Trumpets, one of the meanings of this is that as the trumpet blows, it's a trumpet of coronation to remind us that God is king. And then we have the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, where God is reminding us that he is holy and that if we would humble ourselves and bow down before him, that he would heal us and heal our land. And then finally we have the Festival of Tabernacles. And Justin will talk about these last two in the next two weeks where God is reminding us that we will be with him together in eternity. And that is his desire. So as we look at these festivals then, we see this word appointed times. It also means the same thing as my festivals are appointed times. And so this is a time of meeting between God and man for a holy purpose. So this celebration always connects us with this idea that we are setting aside a special time to be with God and to relate to him for holy purposes. We can also look at these festivals in terms of their pointing to something, and each festival has this idea of pointing to some kind of completion. So if you look at the first festival or Sabbath, it is the Sabbath is God resting in after he has completed all creation. And Jesus fulfills this festival by becoming the Lord of the Sabbath. 
Then if we look at Passover, it's the end or the completion of the suffering of Israel. And we'll, we know that Jesus was crucified during the Passover. He fulfills this feast in that way. And then we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the completion of their stay in Egypt. And Jesus was buried during this feast. Now, the next festival, and this is why there can be another way of being seven if we include the Sabbath, is on the third day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then they start another festival, which is the Festival of First Fruits, which is the completion of the barley crop, among other things. We know that on the third day, it was reported that Jesus rose on the third day, and so he completes or fulfills that festival in that way. And then we have the Festival of Weeks. And the Festival of Weeks is commanded to observe seven weeks, which would be seven days per week. So you do the math, that comes pretty close to, I think, 49. And then it says on the morrow, after that, on the 50th day, to celebrate this festival. So there's this rather long festival here, and it's the total of 50 days. We consider this to be the rival of the Holy Spirit, and here's how it comes to that. After Jesus is resurrected, there's evidence in the Scripture that he came back to earth, that's part of the resurrection, and he spent 40 days with his disciples, teaching them, building them up, equipping them for 40 days which is reminiscent of God being with the nation of Israel for 40 years. And as Jesus leaves on that 40th day, he says something to his disciples. He says to them, remain here in the city to wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And so they do what the Lord said, and they waited there in the city for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Anyone care to guess how many days they had to wait? (laughs) They waited 10 days. And so we see this 50 days fulfilled with Jesus. And then we have this break. Those first four are the uh, spring festivals. Then there's a break, and then there's these three fall festivals. So the Feast of Trumpets, in one way, can be looked at as the completion of the previous year and the celebration of this new year. This year, uh, the Festival of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, began this past Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. So at 7 o'clock, I sent Justin an email, and I said... Guess what the Lord started celebrating an hour ago? <laughs> he began to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. We also will consider this the fulfillment of, uh, by Jesus with the rapture of the church, which I'll talk about in a few seconds. And then, of course, atonement it can be looked at as the, where the Jews are completing their labor and they're finished with that. And how Jesus fulfills that? Well, if you want to know that, you're going to have to come back next week because Justin will talk about that. So you have to come back. And, of course, then the tabernacles is the completion of their separation from God and they tabernacle with God. And you'll have to come back in two weeks to hear how Jesus fulfills that. I don't want to steal any of of Justin's thunder there. Today we're going to talk about Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, the festival of trumpets, is in Leviticus 23. And it says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the first day of the seventh month you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. So one of the things that all these festivals seem to have in common is there's food. There's food at all these things. What makes Rosh Hashanah unique is there's also trumpets. One of the traditions of the meal is before the meal, there is going to be uh, a little ceremony where there's dipping of apples into honey. And so the people that are going to help me, I need you to go ahead because we're going to participate in this little form of Seder, actually. And the idea here is with the dipping of the apples in honey, 
is during this time, the first fruit would be in this ceremony, whatever fruit is now coming into harvest. And for the Jews this time of year, it would be apples. And so there's this acknowledgement that the Lord provides. So as we dip the apple in the honey, the sweetness of the honey reminds us of the sweetness of the promises in the word of God. And so I'm I'm going to go ahead and we'll go ahead and start. And as you you take a, a bowl of apples, take a slice of apple out, pass that bowl on, and then you're going to get a bowl of honey and just dip your apple in that honey and then pass the bowl of honey on and we'll just partake. And you'll continue to enjoy this little meal while I continue to talk about Rosh Hashanah. Of his word, there would be this blessing pronounced over this portion of the meal, and it would be Baruch Ata Adonai Elohinu Melech Haolam Borei Pri Haetz, which means, Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the trees. And so our prayer then would be, Lord, renew this year for us with sweetness and happiness. Now what's unique to Rosh Hashanah is the sounding of the shofar. The shofar is made out of a ram's horn, and they come in different shapes and sizes. It simply depended on which animal is available in the region of the world that you lived in. This is a fairly long, fancy one there. And the sounding of the shofar is mentioned a lot of places in Scripture, hundreds of places. There's the mention of sounding of trumpets or the shofar. The first place we hear something like that would be in Exodus. And in Exodus 19... Uh, is talking about after the Jews are released from captivity and they're, they're commanded to encamp around Mount Sinai. And Moses is interacting going up and down the mountain. And the Lord on the second day tells him to tell the people of Israel to wait for the third day. So let's keep that in mind. Wait for the third day. Because on the third day, something interesting is going to happen. And that's an understatement. Because on the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. We read in Numbers that the Jews were commanded to make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for the calling together of the community and for having the camp set out. So there's the shofar, the ram's horn, and these two silver trumpets. And in the traditions in the temple, some ceremonies had the two silver trumpets sort of the the dominant instrument and the shofar was a supporting role and in other ceremonies it was the opposite <clears throat> the shofar had the dominant role and the silver trumpets had the secondary role so the two primary purposes here for these trumpets were when a certain sound was made on the trumpets all of israel knew that this was a call to meeting or assembly and so they came to the tent of meeting to hear the word of the lord other sounds made by these trumpets were a different signal. And that signal meant, get ready, because there's danger lurking somewhere nearby, so get ready to set out camp, and so it was a warning. There was also another sound, and this is all in Numbers 10, if you'd like to study it, where this sound would be the sound of attack, a military call. And this would be the call that Joshua would have used in the Battle of Jericho. <laughs> Justin gave me this slide right here. <laughs> and so if you, if you recall that story in Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, the nation of Israel goes around the city, very highly fortified city, six days in a row with the, the priests carrying 
ram's horns, not silver trumpets now, ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Covenant. On the seventh day, they go around seven times, blowing these horns, and then at a certain call or a certain command, then all of the nation of Israel shouted, and as you all know, the walls came tumbling down. Okay. So the ram's horn figures uh, very prominently throughout Scripture. And the first place we see of this indication of the ram's horn is in the story of Abraham and Isaac. And if you read the story of Abraham, who we consider to be you know, our father and a man of great faith, but if you read his, his story closely, you'll see that when he first starts out with the Lord, he takes like three steps forward and two steps back. And each time he sort of does what the Lord tells him, and then he doesn't do what the Lord tells him. But he continues to grow each time. Does that sound familiar to any of you? <laughs> yeah, very much. When I, when I did that study of Abraham years ago, I was thinking... Okay, so I'm not that messed up. I mean, Abraham, <laughs> he didn't do everything perfect either, right? And so, uh, the, as the story goes, Abraham got to the point where he'd take three steps forward and then three more steps forward. He got to that point of intimacy and trusting the Lord. And so when the Lord says to him, take your only son, Isaac, up onto the mountain and sacrifice, guess how much arguing there was at that point? None. He completely and immediately obeyed the Lord, and he took his son Isaac and two other young men with him to carry what needed to be carried. And then when he saw the place where the sacrifice would be, he tells these other two men to stay behind, and he and his son Isaac go forward. And that's when Isaac asks his father a question. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And, and Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. And so as he goes up in complete obedience, as he raises his hand, you all know what happens. The Lord stops him, and he says, do no harm to this boy. I now know that you trust me. And, but there still needs to be a sacrifice. And so Abraham turns and he sees this ram caught in the thicket by its horn. And so it's the horn of the ram that creates a substitute for sacrifice. So this is why this is so symbolic and meaningful throughout Scripture. So if we fast forward to Psalms 18, we read, The Lord is my rock, my shield, the horn of my salvation. And if we keep moving forward to Luke 169, we read, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. You see, to qualify for Messiah, anyone who's going to do that would have to fulfill all of these feasts. And so Jesus would need to fulfill also the feasts of the trumpets. So in one way he's going to do that, but another way he already has done that. And it has to do with his birth. I'm getting ready to tell you something that I don't mean to upset you, but I have to tell you something. Jesus was not born on December 25th. <laughs> Even a cursory study of Scripture and climate change and so on would reveal to you that probably not born in the dead of winter, as some of the hymns and carols say. He was born in, in the fall. And so... If we take a look at when maybe he was born, there have been a number of theologians and scholars and researchers who have tried to figure out which date he might have been born. Part of the challenge is we, the non-Jews, we use a solar calendar. The Jews are using a lunar calendar. Okay? That's a whole interesting study right there of what goes on with regard to calculating the, uh, the lunar calendar. But more than one theologian has concluded that most likely... Jesus was born on September 29th, 2 B.C. So today, 
would be Christmas Eve. Tomorrow would be Jesus' birthday, and I just mentioned this to you, so you still have time to run out and get me something (laughs) for tomorrow, and I expect to see it. (laughs) Just leave it on the front porch somewhere. That's fine. Okay. You don't need to wear a red suit or anything like that. Okay. So remember, Jesus has to fulfill all of the festivals, or anyone who claims to be Messiah would have to do that. Because God fulfills all of his festivals at the appointed times. So let's take a look at what was going on back then on 2 2 B.C., 29 September. Well, that happens to have been a high holy day. And you'll never guess in a million years what they were celebrating on December 29th, 2 B.C. The festival of the trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. So while Jesus is being born... Guess what's going on over at the temple? (laughs) The blowing of the trumpets. So there's a Jewish Christian scholar named Alfred Edersheim, and he says the blowing of the priest's trumpets and the special sacrifices brought would summon, as it were, the Lord's host to offer their tribute unto their exalted king and thus bring themselves into remembrance before him. So all day long on December or September 29th, now I'm going December, September 29th, 2 B.C., At the temple, the priests are blowing the horns all day long. And little did they know, in a little town called Bethlehem, only six miles away, their king was being born. So it's appropriate then that the trumpets were being sounded during Jesus' birth. That's a way that we consider Jesus to have fulfilled the festival. But we're also going to see that he will again fulfill the festival in Matthew 24. It says, And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. We also read, as was already mentioned this morning, in First Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. So I want you to bookmark that, those three words, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. There's also reference to this in 1 Corinthians 15 about the rapture. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, we know this is going to happen because they're releasing a movie about it this Friday. (laughs) (laughs) It's also one to... Focus on this raised incorruptible. Okay. There's, a, there's a, a sect, I guess you would call it, or a discipline within Judaism called Kabbalah. Some of you may have heard about this before. Okay. And so uh, the Kabbalists were, what they were doing is they're trying to understand and study and explain the relationship between heaven and earth, between the unseen and the seen. Now, in some ways, uh, Kabbalah has almost become its own religion. But we have this same thing in the Christian church, don't we? We have certain people who seem to emphasize wanting to study the end times, or we have other people who want to emphasize studying one aspect of, of the Scripture. Uh, Carl was talking about a few months ago that pastor of that church where they would go and protest uh, at um, veterans' funerals and so on. So there's nothing really different here. So to study Kabbalah literature would be to study those Jews who were trying to understand the relationship 
between heaven and earth and explain that to us. And they would use Jewish ceremonies, symbols, the Word of God to do that. So in the Kabbalist literature, there's this idea that the shofar is probably for this purpose. It's the blast of the shofar which must be capable with affecting heaven. And so it changes the judgment in heavens from guilty to acquittal. The blast disrupts the prosecutors and even silences them on the judgment day. So their idea here is that with the, the playing of the shofar, the people of Israel change God's intention from guilty to acquittal with those prayers and blasts of the shofar. And you know what? They're right. Almost. You see, I want to focus on this. I told you to bookmark the trumpet of God. So if we go over to Revelations, in Revelation 4.1, we read, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to, speaking to me, like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So why a trumpet? Well, as some of you may know, I'm a trumpet player. Chuck Markham is also a very fine trumpet player. And whenever you see us sitting in the band, you know where they always sit us? All the way in the back. You know why? <laughs> We're loud. <laughs> we'll if the band directors could have it, we'd be sitting in the next room somewhere with the drummers, right, Chris? We're loud, you see. So it would stand to reason that the voice of God, the voice of the Lord, would sound like a trumpet. And it made me think, this voice, if there was anybody around, this trumpet voice would have been heard actually in Genesis 1-3, when God said what? Let there be light. The voice of God sounds like a trumpet. How far do you think that penetrated throughout the, through the universe? A couple, of sol couple solar systems? The entire universe would have heard that and it, it obeyed the voice of God. And so I say that, that the Kabbalists are very, very close here. But I don't think it's going to be the blast of the trumpets that were made by people. It's going to be another voice that sounds like a trumpet that's going to be what creates this phenomenon of judgment because we're all going to stand before the throne of judgment. And there's going to be a prosecutor. There's going to be what's called the accuser of the brethren, and we are going to be accused, but not by the Lord, because during the accusation, the Lord himself is going to speak, and it's the voice of Jesus with his own voice that's going to be the one who silences the prosecution. Praise God, amen? amen. Praise the Lord that his voice is going to speak, and the prosecutor is going to be silent just like that. There's also a reference to trumpets in Revelation when it talks about the judgment coming. And there's seven angels that stand before the Lord. And these angels are each given a trumpet. And as each angel blows their trumpet, the wrath of God in a certain form as a bowl is poured out upon the earth. And so the first angel sounds the horn, the, the, the horn and a judgment is poured out. The first judgment. Not to, uh, not to frighten you, but to encourage you that there are some that are thinking that perhaps the Ebola virus might be the first bowl of judgment and we might be in those end times. Then the second angel blasts the horn and another judgment, and a third and a fourth. But then there's a pause. 
And another angel comes by and says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth for hearing the sound of the remaining three trumpets. Now, if you know the Lord, you don't have to worry about any of this. (laughs) You're going to be seeing this from a whole different place. You're not going to be here. And the movie on Friday is going to show that's going to be the case. Okay. There's a pause, and then there's going to be the blowing of the remaining three trumpets. Let's go back to the festivals for a second. There's four festivals in the spring, and then there's a pause or a break, and then there's the three remaining festivals that come. So the thing that's unique to Rosh Hashanah is the sounding of the shofar. The shofar sounder is the Baal Tikaya. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Am I close to that Tikaya? And it's a privilege to be able to sound the shofar. So if, if I were to get that privilege, I would need to, by tradition, be wearing certain things. I would need to be wearing one of these on my head. What do they call this? A yarmulke? And I also would need to be wearing a prayer shawl. And this is my prayer shawl that I got from Amazon. <laughs> From Israel. (laughs) Okay. And if I had that privilege, I would need to also know and be trained in the sounds of the shofar. The shofar sounds have names to them. One of those is tikaya, which means rooted. It's one long sustained note. It reminds us that God is the sustainer of life, that he's all-powerful, that he's the creator. He is the God of, who supervises the universe. He's the king of the universe. So this is also a coronation sound. There's another sound called the shavarim. It's three medium-length wailing-type blasts. And it's to represent a sobbing, crying of the heart, that part of us that yearns to grow and to connect and to be with the Lord. And then there's a third sound, which is teruha, which is nine short staccato blasts, meaning alarm, to arise, to wake from your spiritual slumber, to use your gifts in ministry, to be prepared for a spiritual battle, to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. And each of these sounds, as we hear them, reminds us of one of these things. If I were to be, have the privilege of the Baal Tikaya, which I, I had a meeting with myself and voted and I got picked, and I would also need to put the prayer shawl over my head. Now, the prayer shawl has a lot of different meanings. That could be a whole separate sermon that I'll encourage Justin to give us someday. But one of the meanings is <laughs> that as I put this over my head, it kind of look like I'm in a tent. So I'm in this tent of a meeting with the Lord, a time of intimacy between he and I. And with the sounding of the shofar, the tradition is the shofar would not be seen until it's ready to be sounded. And so now I can bring out my shofar, which I got from Israel, and it has this little stamp on here which says it's kosher. So I'm going to give you the sounding of the shofar today. I'm not going to play the shofar. I'm going to sound the shofar. I'm not performing. I'm doing this to bless you. A Jewish man should hear 40 sounds of the shofar during Rosh Hashanah, and it's a combination of these three sounds. There are other sounds of the shofar, but these are the three that are used during Rosh Hashanah. So as I sound the shofar, I'm sounding it to allow the sound to come around you, to bless you and to remind you that the Lord is always around you, supporting you. And as I sound the shofar, I'm sounding the shofar over you, 
to remind you that the Lord is also over you and that he is your loving king. And as I sound the shofar, I'm also sounding it to you with the hope that it would penetrate the deepest part of your heart, the part of you that longs part of you that longs to be with the Lord. And as that sound penetrates you, allow that sound also to show you the places in the deepest part of your heart that are keeping you from that intimacy with the Lord. So as I sound the shofar, you can look at the slide or you might just want to close your eyes and let the sound of the shofar be a blessing to you. Hear the sound of the shofar. Musicians come forward. Hear the blessing of the Lord. Baruch Ata Adonai Elohinu Melech Ha Olam Asher Kidashanu Bimitzvotav Vetsvivanu Lishmoa Ko Shafar. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commandments and commanded us to hear the sound of the shofar. Blessed be the name of the Lord, the King of kings, the God of gods, our protector, our creator, our provider, who loves us and desires to be with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.